0: and welcome to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. This is episode three with the Chad Flynn. Power! Hey, everybody, and we're back. This is episode three of the... <laughs> you know, I almost messed it up because I messed it up on, a, on another recording that we did that'll come out in a week with Terry. <laughs> and, and I said, Praxis. It's so, yeah,
1: You rolled your R's. It was awesome. Uh, I was listening to it yesterday the praxis was, <laughs> the praxis pedagogy like Scottish. Scottish. Hey, the pedagogy
0: podcast yeah now all our Scottish <laughs> listeners are going okay I'm done Un- unsubscribe we're of yeah, right here I'm offended I'm gone I'm offended we're done yeah you're an idiot I'm gonna unfollow you from Twitter now because <laughs> you don't belong to the community anymore because you're a goof anyway how about that for an intro that was a good one. That's right, a pretty good one. We're, we're nailing the intros, <laughs> then, exactly. Can you imagine if this was live? We're killing it right now. Uh,
1: okay, hey Chad, tell us who you are and where you come from. Well, Tim, I'm glad you asked. So today, I guess we're going <laughs> <laughs> we're going more into my story. Last episode, we went into your story. So I guess we'll is that the idea? We're going to talk a little yeah, bit about yeah. yeah. It'll be it'll be hard for you to top that because it was a pretty good story. But um, your story, I, yeah. I know. That's why I wish I'd gone first. Ah, uh, well, now you get to, now
0: you get to play, uh, what's that, uh, what's the fourth batter called in
1: baseball? Cleanup hitter. Now you get to clean up. <laughs> okay. Well, my name is Chad Flynn. I am an instructor at the British Columbia Institute of Technology, where as of yesterday, I am celebrating 10 years of teaching, which is just unbelievable because it feels like it was just yesterday that I got hired. So it goes by very, very fast. I teach in the electrical program, so I teach a foundation course, which is entry level trades training. So I get the students that basically have never touched a tool before and don't know anything about electricity and they just have an inkling that they might want to be electricians. So they get to come and spend six months with me and by the time they leave, they hopefully have enough hands on skills and theory behind them that they can go out and kind of be dangerous and useful out in the industry. And I also teach an apprenticeship program. So as soon as I'm done that six months, I roll right into a 10-week intensive course for second year apprenticeship. Because up here in Canada, we have a Red Seal program and you basically have a work term and you go to school for a little bit. And then the electrical program, it's four years of 10 weeks. So I do that as well as I teach an entrepreneurship or trades course for the School of Business at BCIT. And I'm also teaching a... Marketing development course online at BCIT as well. Just got found out that I got that one. So yeah, I'm a busy guy, and yeah, I think that's kind of me in a nutshell.
0: Man, it sounds like you got nothing going on at home that you're doing all this
1: stuff inside the house. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about. It. So I have four kids. I've got a 16 year old boy. I've got a seven year old, or he's going to be seven soon. Seven year old boy, a five year old girl, and we just had a baby who's three weeks old, Sam. So. Yay! And Sammy. a golden, retriever. yeah, good old Sammy, and a golden retriever, and a Boy. cat named Oreo who is a jerk, and a fish named Midnight. <laughs> so now, now maybe I've overshared. There you um, go. And, but, and, yeah. and tell us, Chad, which which of the animals at home do you like the
0: most? The dog, the cat, or the fish? I, I think I can <laughs> guess. Yeah, that would be the dog. I mean the dog. Yeah. Well wow, She's the getting- other thing is is you you mentioned you work at the British Columbia Institute of Technology. Do you do you know that the Ohio State University? You know how they usually go the Ohio State. Yeah. They you know, what they tried to do they tried to uh, TM the really. Yeah. Yeah. How can you trademark the word the? Did it happen? Well, exactly. Exactly. Guess what? They got turned down. Yeah. Good. You, you, turns out you
1: can't own the word the. Because then I can no longer be called the Chad. Yeah, or the chad flynn the chad i'd just be chad flynn and there's no fun to that well it's true it's
0: true because you come up in conversation a lot they go hey do you know the chad flynn <laughs> and i go yes i
1: do happen to know the chad flynn <laughs> flynn with an i not an Y. oh that that's guy. right I, I don't know that guy at all fly double n <laughs> exactly hey anyway.
0: all right is there anything in this coffee except coffee no that's <laughs> good all right. So that's where you come from. That's where you are now. Yeah. Um, um, tell us what
1: drew you get this. What drew you into the open? That's a good question. Um, I think a lot like what you talked about last week. Um, I kind of was into open before I even knew fully what open was teaching. I always found that a lot of the textbooks and modules and binders that we taught from were lacking what I wanted to teach or what I thought was important to teach. So I was always supplementing my own materials and building my own materials and sharing them with my students. So little did I know that at that time I was building some open educational resources. Now they weren't openly shared, like with an open license at the time, because I just had learned about that a year and a half ago. But the idea behind it was to just make things a little bit easier for my students. And actually after about five years of teaching, I stopped using textbooks altogether and started going fully with the resources that I'd created. Just because it cost my students so much money to use these resources that I basically didn't like and didn't want to use. So that's kind of how I, I got stepped into the open. And then a year and a half ago, I started my Master of Arts in Learning and Technology through Royal Roads University. And they are huge into open education. And so we started really learning the more the theory behind it and the actual practices that go with it. And it just, it rocked me because that's something that just... it resonated so much with my own personal values that I kind of jumped in. And I think we've talked before about how I just kind of cannonballed into the world of open because it was just something that worked out well with me. And so I took a lot of the resources that I had already built and started putting them into sharing them openly. Like I have a YouTube channel that's got about 18,000 subscribers now, and I've got about 101 videos. And I made sure about a year ago that all those videos have a creative commons license to them. So if you want to go ahead and use them, you can, Use them. All you have to do is attribute me. You can do whatever you want with them. And so there's that. And then along the way, I just started getting more learning more and more about open educational practices and pedagogy. And so that's a huge area of interest for me and something I've been working a lot on. And in fact, I'm my thesis for my master's is based on the co-creation of open educational resources with trade students and how that their perception of that. So a lot of it goes into the whole idea behind open pedagogy and open educational practices.
0: Wow. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Now you, you wrote an article a while back called if it ain't broke, fix it. Um, tell us about that process and the outcome that from that article. Yeah. Yeah. It was called uh, if it ain't broke, break it. And oh, sorry, <laughs> if it ain't broke, fix it. Uh, actually, you got that wrong. That's uh, that's not my article,
1: but that's okay. I mean, I'm sure that was a great article too. But it could be a follow-up to this one. Um, well, that one was based on how I finally, it was about a year ago that I walked into my classroom and I had all my lesson plans. Like I always say when I'm talking about this, that you will not find somebody who's more organized with their lesson plans, worksheets, resources than me. I'm an Evernote junkie and I have everything laid out and my lesson plans are like broken into days. And I've got exactly, I can almost tell you at what time during the day I'm handing out certain worksheets. And as I started getting into this whole idea of open education and and bringing the students into the experience of creating the resources and creating their own learning, I started realizing that I can't be so rigid with my schedule and so rigid with my lesson plans and and rigid with my lectures and I needed to open that up. So I basically deleted my lesson plans and kind of like I have a guide for how I want the, the session to go and I have certain points that I want to hit. But I don't. I no longer have the days so organized. I, I bring the students into it, and I, I talk to them at the very beginning of the course that, okay, we've got some milestones that we're going to hit, and there's some certain things in the theory that we need to talk about, and that I'm going to work with you on. But I really want to make this a uh, back and forth engaging process, so you guys are going to be working with me, and I'm going to be working with you to create these resources, and so we have a lot of discussion and. At the beginning, it gets they're all a little nervous because they're not used to this whole process. And it seems like they're just working on putting together their own presentations. And it's kind of like what they're thinking is the projects that they had to do in high school. But as we start talking more and more about open and start sharing and talking and discussing and tweaking things, they start getting really involved and realizing that this is not like what anything they've ever experienced. And so they kind of get right into it. And so some huge discussions get involved. Like last two days ago, We had a big discussion about peer assessment and about criticism and how, what I do with with all these projects that I work on with them is not only do I give them a grade, but I also have them grade themselves. And then I have them into groups. So they're in groups of four and they have to grade each other. And so I have this form that they have to fill out. And so we have a long talk about the whole idea behind critical assessment and being a critical friend. And especially in the trades about how criticism is important, but it's not always done well. And how I'd love to see that change And that these students have never been out in the trades world before. And I know we're not a trades focused podcast, but the um, when you go out into the trades, it can be very critical and not in a good way. And so that's, what I'm trying to do is have these students realize that you can be critical in a very positive light. And so you can have constructive criticism. You can share things with people in a very encouraging way. So yeah, we had a really good talk about that. And so the, the whole article kind of goes through my process with that class and all the things that we worked on about how I got rid of doing lectures in front of the class, how I, I got rid of the students sitting in rows and I've got them in now pods where they're facing each other. Um, I split my day in a half now where it used to be that I would have all my, I would spend about a month in the classroom, strictly in class working on theory. And then we'd go into the shop for a couple months and be in the shop all day, every day for those couple months. Now what I do is I split my day in half where we spend the morning in the shop and we spend the afternoon doing theory. And that's every single day for the whole course. And it's also just creating uh, assignments that are not disposable. Like I don't make them write papers. I have them do things that are going to provide value and so a lot of the i get them to write their own textbooks so that they can bring these textbooks with them as they progress on through their schooling and other projects that they can actually use as opposed to just writing a paper or putting together a presentation and then nobody ever looking at it again
0: right right were you surprised at the response of your article
1: yeah yeah i was totally surprised by the response to my article i didn't i mean i enjoy writing i enjoy blogging so when i put it out there and hit the kind of, and I tweeted it, I didn't expect, I expected that I might get a couple likes like from you and from another <laughs> friend. And it kind of, it kind of went- The obligatory likes. Yeah, the buddy likes. That's right. But then I, uh, it just kind of took off from there. I'm not saying it went viral or anything, but I, it got a lot of, there was a lot of legs behind it. Especially when you're talking about vocational education, because there's not a lot being done as far as um, open education. And not, I mean, there wasn't a lot being done. There is, it seems to be gaining and picking up speed rapidly now. But a year ago, there wasn't much being done, and so to talk about it in the, from a vocational standpoint, it seemed like it really resonated with a lot of people. And so, subsequently, I've been able to go talk quite a bit about it, and um, a lot of people are are getting quite excited about it.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a good piece, and I'll put the link in the mystical show notes, obviously. But um, it's it's a it was kind of one of those pieces that all that I used in my critical approach to oer and and my own pedagogy um because i mean let's face it there's a there's a tremendous amount of comfort knowing that you've got everything planned yeah right and it takes a lot of it takes a lot of stress and a lot of blood and sweat to get to that point yeah but when you're at that point i mean sure you got to tweak things every once in a while because you know outlines change a little bit mm-hmm. or you want to add some new information here or there but man like when you know exactly what you're going to be doing that day and and I know that there are some people out there who know exactly what they're going to be doing at hour two yep. of day seven. yeah that's exactly right? the way I was and some people some some faculty really love that and and I think there's a I think there's a component there where they go, I've done all this work to get it to this point and I, and I want it to be there because it makes me feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that, that it's not that you got a lot of traction, although you did. I was, I was pleasantly surprised to see the breadth of traction that you got is it wasn't just from the vocational arena. It was from, from the, from the academic side of the house too. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and even the OER and OEP advocates at that time who we'd really didn't know or had only heard of because we saw their name somewhere, uh, are starting to touch on this and go, this is an important piece. So I'll link it in the show notes. So people, if they haven't read it, they can go and read it. Cause it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty well, thank good. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. Um, tell us a little bit about your social lens when it comes to OER, OEP.
1: What, what do you mean by social lens?
0: Well, you often, you often talk about how there's a social impact or there's a social aspect to this OER and OEP.
1: Right. Like it's a, so it is a social justice issue as far as I'm concerned when we get into the use of OER. And I would say, and I think I mentioned this, maybe I didn't mention in this podcast, but I, I mentioned it in a tweet once where at the beginning of this course, we, um, our program has shifted to using textbooks. We used to use these ITA binders and we shifted to using these textbooks from a, a publisher. And they're quite expensive for my students. And the package comes to close to $900. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And so... 900
0: bucks yeah, for the year or for all four years? For,
1: for the year. It's for the year. But here's the thing is these books are all tied to the Canadian electrical code okay. and the Canadian electrical code so they they say oh you only have to buy the binders or the books once but you, the problem is the Canadian electrical code changes every three years which means that these textbooks are going to have to be updated every three years and a, an apprenticeship is four years yeah. so they're going to have to buy it at least twice Ugh. so that's close to two grand uh. So, I mean, we've talked about how, like, I would love to see the Canadian Electrical Code be available to our students for free. It's just like the the Building Code. I think you've discussed that yeah. before too, Tim. Is how the the Canadian Building Code has become open to students, like using the PDF version. Mm. I would love to see the Canadian Electrical Code go that way because it's it's a couple hundred bucks. It's one hundred eighty five dollars or something for our students. Yeah. Anyways, long story short. I mentioned to my class because they get a list of books. And so a lot of them will have bought these books before they come to class. And so I said, hopefully don't open your your book package. Just so you know, I have resources that I use. I'm not using those those books. So you can take them back or those of you who haven't bought them yet. Don't worry about buying them. Hmm. And so you can just see the weight of the world coming off these people's shoulders, some of them. Well, yeah. And then after the class, one of the students came right up to me and was like, you have no idea, like absolutely no idea how much I appreciate this. And I was like, hey, no worry. I, I think I do. Cause I've, I'm part of this whole idea of this movement of open educational things. Like they were like, no, it's uh for me, it's like, when it comes to that, I had no idea how I was going to pay rent. Oh, And so th- we see it in vocational education, just like you see it in, in academics. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes with vocational education, a lot of people figure, well, they're working at the same time, but when you get started, you're not. And a lot of my students are going to school full-time as well as working full-time. So I've got them till about 2, 2.15. And then they're going to go off and they go to work. And some of them are working till 11 o'clock at night. And so it's just exhausting for them. And so part of my whole open pedagogy, and I, I write a lot about this, is is the empathy that we need to have as instructors. And I don't care if it's vocational or academic for our students. And it used to be like, I would get so frustrated when you get those students that are falling asleep in class until you realize that sometimes the reason why those students are falling asleep in class is cause they work till like one class one student in this class right now worked till two in the morning and then comes to school for 730. So we have to cut them some slack and we have to understand that there is every student's got a story that they're coming with, and they're coming with some baggage that is just pretty incredible. And we we're just we gotta be aware of that. We don't need to ask them what their stories are unless they feel safe enough to share it with us but we do need to be aware that there is a story there and so not to think the worst of our students but actually to give them the benefit of the doubt and think the best of them
0: yeah and, uh, yeah and you made a good statement there not to think the worst of them but to give them the benefit of the doubt right we've uh yeah. we've heard that um that very uh, apt pr- proverb is it a proverb
1: trust your students Yes. Right. And we can, it's uh, trust your students and expect great things from your students too. Yeah. yeah, Exactly. So often we don't trust our students and we just, we think that they, they don't know what they're talking about or they won't be able to offer anything. And that we're these great wise oracles that can distill wisdom upon Mm us, upon them. But it's amazing some of the things that our students can offer us. And so I'm just continually surprised by my students and they daily surprise me with some of the insights that they can give. At the end of the day, I mean, we're all just trying to get around this big blue rock that's spinning around the sun, right? And so it's about these relationships. And yes, it's important that we teach them and teach them how to learn. But it's also at the end of the day about the relationships that you build and learning how to be better people. So I'm really trying to focus on that. I guess that's probably what you meant by my social aspect is... I'm just trying to help people be better people, not just become better electricians. And I think that's what for me, that's a key element of my pedagogy. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about open pedagogy and open educational practices. Right.
0: Right. Really good. Really good. So you're getting close to the final stages of your master's degree. Mm -hmm. How much of that uh, process in your master's degree, how much of that has influenced your thinking?
1: I would say it has influenced my thinking 123.7%. (laughs) 0.7? Yeah, 0.7. Wow. It's a lot. It's because if anybody who's done any kind of writing or worked on your thesis or anything, you realize it becomes all-encompassing and it becomes your your main focus. It almost becomes, I remember somebody said to me, and it might have been you, that it becomes like a child where you love it, but it drives you crazy sometimes. And so it sounds <laughs> well, like something you would say, actually. So you know, I'm well, going to attribute that to you. The fact that I've got four kids of my own
0: and well, there you go too. So, but um, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, it does. But, and so this whole idea of the co-creation, it, the idea was this, the seed was there as I started. And if you read that article that I wrote, it all kind of stem. My thesis stemmed from that experience with my students and then trying to actually quantify and qualify and, and, figure out what an actual perception of the students are through this. I got anecdotal evidence that they really appreciated it, but of course, the data is not there. So then while doing my master's now, I can actually do some research and and work through this and see what the data actually says in regards to all of this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's perfect. So it seems that ed tech, educational technology, keeps pushing the boundaries of delivering our content, right? Uh-huh. How do you choose which tech to use and which ones to steer clear of? (laughs) Well, my philosophy, I know, know, pardon me, I know you, sorry, I I need to jump in because you like just jump into everything. Like when you said cannonball earlier, like that is not, that is in no way, shape or form an exaggeration. Like, no, I know you are a total cannonballer. (laughs)
1: So this to answer your question and to be a hundred percent honest him, I throw everything at the wall and if it sticks, I continue to use it and if I doesn't, I, I just stop. So cool. I love technology, so I, I use quite a bit. Sorry, what were you gonna No ask? no it's good. It's good. I should learn not to interrupt. <laughs> it's
0: part of that discussion dialogue <laughs> thing that we talked about before. Um But but where do you where do you go to find out uh, all this stuff about EdTech? Because I mean, I I don't know a lot. I mean, I don't know as much as you do about it, but I feel I feel like I'm, you know, close to knowing a lot, but you Mm -hmm. just seem to come up like every week there's like, hey, have you heard about this? And have you tried that? And like, what do you do? What what are you doing? And where are you going?
1: I go to Twitter. I'm honestly uh, Twitter is like my number one resource, my professional learning network, my PD, all that starts from Twitter. And I just, there's a few people that I follow, like at FastCrayon. she writes a lot about ed tech. There's the uh, Google tribe at Google tribe. Um, they talk a lot about using Google tools. And so you start listening to, or kind of clicking on their, their links into, in Twitter, and there's all these podcasts that are out there. So, and now uh, you just start, it snowballs. And so like my podcast going into all, I'm just opening up my podcast player right now, but there's so many different ed tech type podcasts out there that I get overwhelmed with it sometimes like on education, um, getting there. Like the one that Terry green that we'll have him, on, I believe next week. He, he talks about a lot about ed tech, ask the flip learning network. There's that Um, getting into, there's one called build your SAS, your instructional designer, Ed surge on air, edgy technicalities, uh, the Google teacher tribe, house of ed tech, instructional redesign podcast. I could go on and on and on and on about all these different podcast so that for me I just because I love learning all this stuff and I love I love education I love technology so obviously the marriage of them both just gets me going as you can tell my voice is starting to get raised but <laughs> I, yeah, I just you just calm down for a second <laughs> yes I'm sorry hello Lr um but so yeah I just I just listen and I hear different case studies of what people have tried and I'm like okay that sounds cool I could probably use that in my context and I tweak things and try things out so I'm lucky in that I, my class is very, I have a lot of autonomy with how I teach it because it's a six month course and I have a lot of support from my institution and how I do that. So I, I am able to try things out and I'm able to test things out and then I share about it and write about it because I think other people would like, I would have liked to have somebody who's like me on the ground trying things out too, to see how I could use these things. Yeah, for
0: sure. So, I mean, we could tell you're excited. What gets you excited about ed
1: tech? The idea, it's a whole participatory, and it's just fun to say, participatory, participatory technologies, bringing the students into it and having them be able to participate in these technologies. Now, it used to be that presentations were great. And, you know, you had your PowerPoints that you could build. And you, some instructors and teachers get really good at building PowerPoints and they're really engaging and good to look at and pretty and works of art. But why not have our students start doing the same thing and presenting to us or building building these tools themselves? And that's what I like about it and stuff like using cahoots, which is an online quiz, having my students build the cahoots. So it used to be that I would make all the questions up and I would present to the class and we'd have a great time and everybody would learn. But now I found that by having them jump in and them building it and them sharing it, they are more invested and more excited and more they just, it it resonates better with them and the knowledge that they get from it because they're so invested. It's not just me performing to them now, it's them becoming part of the performance.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Good way so, to put it. Yeah. So here's the flip side of that. What frustrates you the most about ed tech? Um, I, just cause there's some, I don't know, there's, I wish sometimes that it would go faster. I wish that there was some, there's some things that I would love to see out there that aren't out there yet. Um, video annotation is a huge one that I'm thinking of right now, where I would love it if my students, and I know there, it is out there, but it's so complex and uncoordinated and not user friendly. But what I mean by that is I would love it if my students could take video of some of the work they've done. And then if I could take that video and timestamp it. So which means that as I'm watching it, I could hit a button and make a note or draw a picture on the video and or put an arrow towards something so that they have real time video feedback that I could send back to them. So they could watch my feedback on it. And so it's it's coming. And it's, there's other, there's companies like WeView who are doing it, but it's just not quite there yet. Um, Flipgrid is a huge one that's out there. They're started, They're really doing a lot of crazy stuff with video. But again, this video annotation, I think, would be huge. Another one that I'm just absolutely trying to immerse myself in right now is adaptive learning and having AI, where you can have your students log on to their computer and they, they go through this whole assessment process where they they take a couple little quizzes and it assesses where they're at in a certain topic so let's just use basic math skills they would get in there they would like answer some questions about fractions decimals percentages interest discounting all that stuff and the algorithm would kind of understand what they know and what they need to know and then give them the personal resources that they need so say i go into it and i'm really really bad at fractions Well, then it would assess that and it would start giving me videos, different videos on fractions that are, that are good, different PDFs on fractions that are good, different question banks that I can go to to practice. And then it will reassess me. And as I kind of level up, then it starts moving and it starts learning with me. And so it becomes like a personalized computer tutor, which I think is just fascinating. So I'm looking, I've been looking into that. We use D2L at the, institute that I work at and there's an adaptive learning platform called Leap that is associated with that. So I'm working right now with the um, learning teaching center to hopefully get some stuff built with that as well. That sounds just crazy enough to work. I know. And it is working. It is that adaptive technology, adaptive learning technologies is working. It's just, again, it was one, it was a big, huge buzzword like a few years ago. And then again, the technology just wasn't, wasn't quite there yet. And now we're seeing it make huge leaps. So I do think it's there and we're seeing some great success. There's lots of great case studies out there. Um, Ed Surge has done some stuff talking, some uh, articles, which I'll send you the links so you can show throw them in the show notes as well. The so yeah, for me, the, notes. Yeah, the mythical show notes for me, the two big ones are video annotation or video feedback and adaptive learning platforms. Yeah. Nice. Nice.
0: So you were recently awarded the Excellence in Open Education Award, so congratulations for that. Thank you. And you have also been granted then Open Education Advocacy and Research Fellowship. Mm-hmm. So congratulations
1: about that. Thank you. Tell us a little bit
0: more about the direction and focus of your research
1: fellowship. It's going to be focusing on basically what I'm, my thesis is on. and. And trades education. So there's two parts to it, really, is this year I'm going to be doing, obviously, a lot of focus on the co-creation of OER with vocational students. And that's going to be part of my fellowship. The other half of it is is a grant that I'm working on with yourself and uh, Sally Vinden regarding some barriers to open education for vocational education in British Columbia. So digging deep into trying to get OER and OEP into the BC system in vocational education and then see what the barriers might be institutionally or from instructors or from students and what some kind of coming up with some strategies of how we can uh, address those barriers. Because I think open education is huge. Obviously, I'm a humongous advocate. And so I would love to see more and more people use it. And it's starting to gain traction. But I think if we can identify where some of the areas are that some instructors or institutions have with it, and if we can address those barriers, I think we can see this thing grow a lot faster, quicker.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we're, we're creeping up to our, uh, time limit that we've agreed to, uh, keep our podcast to, although we could probably keep going for another <laughs> half an hour, an hour yeah, on this. Easily. Um, easy. Um, so I have a couple more questions before the wrap up question. Sure. One, how many apps do you have on your phone right now that have something to do with edtech?
1: Let me open it up and I'll just take a look, quick look because I've got a folder. I finally organized my now my kids. See, I love kids, but my kids get into my apps. And then my son, who is seven years old, he thinks it's funny to go in and take all my folders and start moving things around. So I know, there it is. He's now named my education folder productivity with spelled D U C K. One two three four five six seven eight nine ten. I've got twenty five right off the hop that are on my phone and you use those all the time um not all no not all of them they're just there's some that i kind of i get off and put on and some that i end up deleting and i wish i hadn't so it's it's always it's an up and down it's it's dynamic it's not static it's always moving Mm -hmm.
0: and so do those do those apps include uh communication yep. apps like Slack and Definitely. Rocket Chat. And yeah, you that. got
1: that. That's the sort of stuff that I use a lot. And then same with Google Suite tools like I'll include those in there as well because I use a lot of Google Suite stuff with my class because they can share it openly. It's not openly, but we can share it and jump in there and and uh work together on it collaboratively. That's what I was looking right. for.
0: Is Snapchat the most popular in your
1: classroom? 100%. Snapchat is huge. It's amazing. As, as far as using it as an educational tool, I'll get back to you on that. I don't know how I can yeah. do that. It's it's their, it's their way that they have a back channel, but they're not going to let you as an instructor into that. So you're not going to be invited into the group chats. But just being aware of how it works, even as a parent, just being aware that Snapchat is out there.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Uh,
1: last movie that you watched. Oh, that's a good one. Um, Road to Perdition with Tom Hanks. It was a Sam Mendes film. It's a good movie. Uh, before that... I would say I watched for a few dollars more. I'm a humongous Clint Eastwood Spaghetti Western fan. So every year I watch those trilogies. So there's the fistful of dollars for a few dollars more and the good, the bad and the ugly. The first one and the third one always get the the big props, but I think the second one's the best.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you get that <laughs> exactly. kind of sound, yes. right? The Ennio Morricone. I might have to edit that out later, but uh,
1: we'll see how that goes. You should. That'd be amazing.
0: <laughs> we'll put a little Clint Eastwood in the episode. Maybe we uh, we'll get away with it. We won't get caught. That would all really right. make my day. That would oh, get it? Ouch! That's right. That's right. <laughs> do you feel lucky? <laughs> well, do ya? Do ya. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, enough tomfoolery. Last serious question mm-hmm. here. So, what impact do you want to make in the open world?
1: I would love to. Um just bring open into trades education and have it become not something that's on the fringes, but something that is more commonplace and that more and more instructors would just jump on board the open train. Trades instructors are doing it anyways. They're building their own resources. They're building their own PowerPoints. They're just, and they're sharing with each other. So why not put it out there into the whole open commons? And so letting them know what that entails and that the licensing that goes along with that and how much that could help other instructors and students. That's the kind of stuff that I just love to shout from the mountaintop, as well as open pedagogy and just the idea of including your students in the whole process as well. And I know it's there's huge jumps for some to do that. It's a, it's a lot of loss of control, and honestly, it does. Every day that I come to class, I now I legitimately feel uncomfortable and a little bit nervous as I teach because I don't know where things are going, and I am a bit of a control freak, and I, I love having that control, like you said earlier. I, it just there's a great comfort in knowing exactly how the day is going to go now i don't so i don't know how the day is going to go so that does make me a little bit uncomfortable but anyways to realize that our students can add so much more value to the process and that's that i would love to have other instructors realize that and and just jump on board that kind of idea of having our students participate in their own education and not just passively but to actually engage and create
0: yeah you're here all good all right. Well, as we uh wrap it up, thanks so much, Chad, for taking the time to be the interviewee <laughs> on this uh important episode number three. Yes. And um uh I there's a ton of stuff in here. There's um there's so much and uh it's really cool because uh well we get to go back and listen to this later, but um uh thank you so much for taking the time. Oh and, so much fun. Uh, and- any uh, last words that you want to say to the crowd before we
1: sign off? Just keep on listening because we've got some great guests coming up. So I'm really excited about this whole project that we're working on. Um, and just reach out to us. like join. I, like, I know that you always get at the end of a podcast, make sure you sp- subscribe. Well, please make sure you subscribe. And if there's things you would like us to talk about or things to address, or you want to come on the show, reach out, please. And uh, we'll get you on there. We'll talk to you about it. Yeah, exactly. Like people can subscribe to Stitcher and iTunes and all that other stuff. Yep. And that's cool.
0: Um, but if you want to have a, a an Im, uh, an impact, you want to have some input into what we do with the podcast, because we're going to hold it a little bit open in the yep. sense that um, we want to hear from you guys. Be sure to go to the website, PraxisPedagogy.com. Sign up. Uh, to the podcast and you'll get a newsletter once in a while from us Mm -hmm. Um, but you can also email us and let us know what's going on and it gives us an opportunity to send out an email to uh, everybody in the community and ask them one how they're doing two is there anything that we should cover and three anybody willing to come on the show it's really only 30 minutes of your life it's a lot of fun and you never know somebody might learn a ton from you and what you've already learned and what you're doing and what you hope to do so Yeah, couldn't have said that better. Thanks again.
1: No problem, Tim. Thank you. Until next
0: week. What's that? I said thank you.
1: Oh, hey. (laughs) thank you. Uh, Until next week. We will see you on the other side. All right. Out. Peace.